and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 21st of April with me in Welsh. Recently I spoke with Scott Kelly from science-based solutions company Resilience about net zero planning for the apparel sector. That's to come a little bit later. First though, it's time for some sustainable business news, this week with my colleague B. Stevenson. This week, Greenpeace and other campaign groups have taken the European Commission to court as they seek to overturn new green investment taxonomy that classes nuclear energy and natural gas as climate-friendly investments. The EU's list of investments that can be labelled and marketed as sustainable is meant to provide clarity and guidance to investors wishing to support the EU's commitments under the Paris Agreement. Last year, the Commission added some gas and nuclear plants to the list, a move which was met by controversy and protest by several governments, including Spain and Denmark. The suit by Greenpeace and another by four campaign groups, including Client Earth and WWF, seek to reverse the decision on the basis that gas might violate the EU's own climate laws. The Commission also faces a challenge from the Austrian government, which is also rejecting the green classification for gas and nuclear. A new report by the FAO, which investigates women's participation in the agri-food system from production to consumption, has warned that women face inequalities constraining their full participation in the sector. It finds that, despite the importance of agri-food systems for women's livelihoods globally and the welfare of their families, their roles tend to be marginalised and their working conditions are likely to be worse than men's. They're irregular, informal, part-time, low-skilled and labour-intensive, and thus vulnerable. It reveals that women in agriculture receive 82 cents for every dollar earned by men. The first of its kind in 10 years, the report notes that climate change and the COVID-19 pandemic have also disproportionately impacted women. During the pandemic, for instance, women's food insecurity rose faster than men's and job losses in agri-food systems were much more pronounced. The report stresses that more must be done to empower women and close gender gaps in agri-food systems. This will enhance the well-being of women and their households, reduce hunger, boost incomes and strengthen agricultural resilience. At least $130 billion a year will be needed to protect the most vulnerable areas of tropical rainforest by 2030, warns a report by the Energy Transitions Commission. This sum would go towards eliminating the economic incentive to destroy forests for uses such as cattle ranching and agriculture. It suggests that this funding could come from carbon markets, from government and philanthropy. The report warns that reductions in beef and dairy consumption and regulations to ban deforestation will also be needed to stop deforestation from returning in the future. Halting it is, of course, imperative to reducing CO2 emissions to limit the worst impacts of climate change, to combating biodiversity loss and to protecting livelihoods for over a billion people. For the first time, businesses are being encouraged to disclose their plastics footprint through a new function on CDP's Global Environmental Disclosure System. Over 18,000 companies currently use the platform for disclosures on carbon emissions and wider nature impacts, and CDP is now urging those in some of the most plastic-polluting industries to lead the use of this new voluntary function. These industries will include packaging production, apparel manufacturing, as well as the fossil fuel sector. CDP argues that companies are coming under increasing consumer and investor pressure to measure and disclose the plastics that they produce. Indeed, six companies faced shareholder resolutions calling for more credible plastics reduction plans and plastic-related disclosures in 2022. And in December of that year, 55 financial institutions created a new Plastic Solutions Investor Alliance. CDP encourages governments to include plastics in their mandatory disclosure policies as these gain momentum. 
Innovation Forum is going to be in Amsterdam next week for our Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference. Among the expert panellists taking part will be Scott Kelly, Senior Vice President of Model Development and Analytics at Resilience. A few days ago, Scott and I had a conversation about how the apparel sector should approach net zero planning and the thinking that should go into setting effective targets. Why don't you start off by just explaining in a couple of sentences what resilience does? So resilience helps businesses to understand their climate risks. We have a suite of models that estimate both physical and transition risk at a company level. We use data and the latest client science to build out those models to understand extreme weather events, flooding, extreme temperature increases. But also on the transition risk size, we have models that look at things like policy risk, liability risk, reputational risk, consumer sentiment risk and others, and then build metrics to understand what the risks and how these will affect business over time. At the Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference in Amsterdam that's coming up, we're going to be talking about net zero planning. What evidence do you see that the apparel and textiles sector is taking the net zero challenge seriously? To be honest, I think progress has been slower than I would have expected. In a recent report by the Fashion Revolution, they publicise an annual transparency index. And uh, in the latest review, they looked at um, annual reports from 250 of the world's largest fashion brands and retailers from across the world. And they look at signs for how an organisation is starting to take sustainability and climate change seriously. In that report, they showed that just 65% of major brands publish emissions from their own operations, that's scope one emissions, and only 34% publish a carbon footprint at the processor or raw material level, so that's scope three emissions. Of those, 31% of brands publish a decarbonisation target. So how can you really set and develop a net zero plan if you're not really making a target to reduce to net zero? If the world's largest brands and retailers were in a swimming race, that would represent three quarters of those contestants still on the starting block looking for the finish line. What more should the sector be doing right now? There's quite a few things, but I think the first step would be, and in fact, this is a saying from someone called Peter Drucker. He said, what gets measured gets managed. Measuring a company's carbon emissions has got to be the first step to understanding an organization's overall impact. Once emissions are understood and measured, where they are coming from can be identified and then a plan established for how to reduce those emissions. Of course, setting a goal to achieve those targets over time can be enacted. Brands and other companies have had their fingers burnt in the past missing targets. I'm thinking particularly around deforestation, 20 targets that were all missed. To reach a net zero position by 2050, how do you categorise the importance of interim target setting? Yeah, it's an interesting point because I think in the past, companies have been a bit cavalier with their attitude towards setting targets without really understanding what was required to meet those targets. And I think that primarily has been driven through marketing needs. There's consumer demand that companies need to be setting these targets, but then not much thinking has been going on behind the scenes to what that means for the business. Perhaps they're looking at their competition and competition is setting targets and businesses rightfully taking the issue seriously and setting targets, but without the thinking that goes behind that. So I think what needs to happen is that a business needs to understand where their emissions are coming from, what is a reasonable expectations in terms of what the target setting should be. And I think importantly, making sure those targets are aligned with the strategic direction and governance of the company, because these things definitely need to be aligned. If they're separate, then those targets aren't going to be met. What do you think the apparel sector and the apparel sector brands should do to go about setting these targets effectively? 
Achieving net zero won't happen simply by setting and publishing a target to achieve net zero. The first thing to note is that achieving the net zero needs to be accompanied by a plan, and that plan should be fully integrated with the company strategy and governance processes of the business. A good plan will also specify a carbon budget. Carbon budget, I guess, is a good way to think about it. Is it's similar to a target, but it allocates a certain amount of emissions that the company can produce in any particular year. Putting it in those terms, I think, gives it a different light, puts it more into a financial context, and it allows the company to then set that budget and meet those stepping stones to achieving that long-term target over time. To get there, what are the steps that brands need to take to ensure that progress is made and at the pace necessary? Is it all about measurement, as you just said? Measurement is definitely the first step, and so that requires measuring scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. Scope three emissions for the textile industry are incredibly important. They represent over ninety percent, typically, of a fashion brand's emissions. However, I wouldn't recommend setting a target until a company has a good idea of where those emissions are coming from and what will be required to bring those emissions down as fast as possible. And once that's done, I think it's a good thought exercise to see what would happen. In order to achieve the net zero 2050 targets, that's become the default standard across industry is net zero by 2050. Companies are obviously pushing the envelope more, but as a first exercise, let's set that as a target and see what that means for the business. And then there might be opportunities for bringing that timeline forward and accelerating that change over time. Once a feasible plan is established, it is then important to publicly disclose what that company is going to do. This does several things, but most importantly, it keeps the company accountable to the targets that it's setting to shareholders and customers, so that the company is then committed to achieving those targets over time. Finally, I think it's important to annually report on progress against those targets over time, and to annually show whether they're meeting or exceeding the carbon budgets on an annual basis. You picked up on transparency just now. What evidence are you seeing in the apparel sector that there is a greater acceptance of the need for transparency, perhaps in supply chains and businesses that haven't been transparent in the past? Transparency is an important issue, and it's something that the sector I think is struggling with. I referred earlier to the fashion index. It could very well be that companies are meeting targets, but they're just not reporting on them. So I think we need to see more of that reporting to get that accountability in place. Scope three, obviously, significant part of net zero transition for companies. Scope three, obviously, supply chain emissions. What can apparel sector brands do to inspire their suppliers to engage with them on net zero, so they can really then get to the crux of dealing with their scope three emissions? This is the crux of the issue, really, because this is where the majority of the emissions lie. And I think there's a number of things that can be done. I think there needs to be more collaboration right across the sector. There needs to be supplier agreements in place with suppliers, both upstream and potentially if there are downstream businesses, those agreements can be put in place. There is issues of double claiming as well. Those agreements need to specify that those emissions aren't being counted by multiple organisations. Collaborating with peers to make sure that they are genuine emissions reductions, I think, is an important part of that process. Whilst obviously there are some clear challenges, when we've just been talking about some of them, what do you see as the opportunities for the apparel sector from climate change and from engaging on these issues? I think there's raft of opportunities here. At the moment, over 50% of all textiles are produced from fossil fuel derived synthetic materials. So, I think there's a massive opportunity to shift to more sustainable materials. This can be as simple as shifting to recycled plastic bottles and the manufacture of polyesters. This technology already exists; it just requires a commitment from the company to start shifting its virgin resources to different materials. There are opportunities for more sustainable materials, organic cottons, and other produce. 
There's also opportunities for circular economy principles. So this is more downstream, designing clothes for durability, building in circularity into the process. Maybe the company can look at a rental model. There are already several companies that have developed a successful clothing rental business to close that loop, making sure that clothes are recyclable or even upcycling the used product of clothes. So that's an important part of it. And then I think there needs to be some consumer education as well. Take shifting away from this idea of fast fashion marketing products that are durable, long-lasting, and high quality, and pushing that as a marketing strategy for the business. And I think there is demand there, but over the last decade, we've seen a shift in the other direction to more fast fashion. That's definitely an area that needs to change first. So what are some concrete steps then that companies can take to take advantage of these opportunities? First step is to start with a vision, set goals, and then make a plan for how to get there. I mean, it's all pretty standard stuff. The real work really begins, though, when companies start implementing the plan and then issues start popping up along the way for how that might play out. So I think it's important to be agile and be honest, be open and transparent, and make sure you're reporting as you're going along. We're all on the journey together. Customers and investors just want to see that progress is being made in the right direction point about collaboration, of course, is, is a very good one. This can only happen if all parts of a sector, all players in a sector work together and collaborate to deliver the ultimately getting to the, the net zero position that people want to get to. It's been a fascinating conversation. Scott Kelly from Resilience, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. The Innovation Forum website is, as ever, the place to go for all the usual analysis and interviews. Ahead of next week's Apparel and Textiles Conference in Amsterdam, my colleague Diana Kim has corralled some relevant interviews and content from the past few months. Very useful if you're attending next week. I'll be reporting from Amsterdam, and do come and say hello if you're there. But that's it for now. I've been Ian Welsh, and until next week, goodbye.